All right, what's happening? What up with it? What you know good and what it do? We'd like to thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. You're listening to Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative and entertaining podcast in this pandemic land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion where I give you the straight up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jewel St. James. Dead press. I'm Novak. We're giving sight to the blinds, ladies and gentlemen. On today's pod, we'll be pulling back the curtain on the unspoken racial divide with the NFL. Fellas, what's popping? Man, chilling, bro. Chilling. How's it going with you guys? Going pretty good. I miss sports. Man, I'm smooth, right man. I'm smooth, smooth, man. I'm winning. There you go. <laughs> you, still like out, you still out there doing that yard work? You know what? No, man. I get the I get the weeds and stuff coming up, man. I might I might do it tomorrow or next week. Or I might just call Sanchez and son to do it for me. <laughs> they in front of my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they be everywhere. <laughs> Got the cutting grass man, Mike Rayner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still oh man. But man, I, I'm with you too, Novak. I definitely uh miss sports, but hey man, it'll probably be coming back soon here. So uh until then we just gonna keep pumping out this content for y'all for our, our listeners here. Have you watched the old show? When ESPN turns into the Ocho? Yep. Oh, my God. I saw. I was watching marble racing the other night. People racing marbles. I'm like, wow. This is what life has turned into. I'm not going to lie. I've been putting in some uh, bets online on some of those marble races. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, before we get into this episode, man, on, on the NFL, man, because we're going we gonna to pull back the curtain on this episode probably harder than we've done any of our episodes so far. I wanted to do just a quick little check-in, man. We're at the six-week mark here on our podcast. And, fellas, man, this thing is it's expanding even um, bigger than what I could have imagined and probably even what you guys could have imagined. I mean, this podcast is now being streamed in eight different countries. Like, that's humbling and exciting and everything all at the same time. And how do you guys feel about that? It's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Unbelievable. And we're just getting started. Just getting started, man. But man, we just got to keep, got to keep giving the people what they want, man, man, so they can keep sharing the podcast out there and and keep help, help helping us to grow this thing. I mean, we we looked at our numbers for May, and they doubled our numbers from April. So I mean, right there, I mean, we must be doing something right here, man. So let's just keep let's keep giving people the content that they want and keep hitting these topics, man. So man, without further ado, let's get into it. So this episode, we're going to pull back the curtain on the racial divide within the NFL. Fellas, what do you get, why do you guys think there's such a lack of diversity uh, within the uh, NFL in regards to coaching and also within the management uh, positions? I think it goes back to the ownership. When you look at the NFL right now, you also look at, you compare it to other major sports, we're still waiting to see that black ownership group, you know what I mean, where someone isn't just a uh, – a small percentage owner or you know, minority owner at this point, I think you'll see more diversity with the coaching hires when you see more diversity with ownership situations. I mean, it feels like baseball. It's a, it's a gentleman's club, pretty much, if you know what I mean. And that's a situation where people, you know, people pretty much put people that look like them in power in those situations. And it's a trust issue, you know what I mean, right now, where they got to trust us to be those decision makers to have higher input into a league that's 70% African-American at this point. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's been going on for years. I think it's something that, you know, it will get better with time. 
you know, I think they, uh, 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 Novak is right about that as far as it will get better in time. And um, the one thing I, I, I researched and, and, and got information on about is the sports attorney, uh, sports attorney Richard Roof has stated, history, you know, historically, the wealth in this country belongs to white males. And it's, you know, and it goes the same to the, some of these Fortune 500 companies where most law firms are owned by white males. Now, owning a pro sport team can be very lucrative, but it's also obscenely expensive to buy. Some even with some some of your most wealthy people can't even afford it single handedly. So they go in and have partners and stuff like that. You know, 22 of the teams in the NFL have been owned by the same person for for years, for over 20 years. So I think like what, what Novak said in, in due time. We uh, minorities or uh, you know, other people will be able to go in and, and invest and, and and get companies because right now you only have two NFL owners, uh, persons of, of color. If you you say, you know, and it's Jacksonville and also uh, in Buffalo, and then not African American. One is uh, Pakistani, and the other one is uh, is uh, Asian American. So I think uh, we have a lot of. And we, we should be able to to get in that owners that owners box. We have a lot of African American that are have some uh, billionaires who have 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 wealth. If they put their money together and, they, and be able to uh, get a team when it's available and stuff, it's 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 achievable. And we just you know right now it's all about timing and the right pockets because Carolina went on the market what a few years ago, but they sold for about two point two billion. And I think what I read that was the most expensive one, expensive franchise to to buy at that at the time. So, yeah, I think uh, just it, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's all about timing right now. And then also, do we even, you know, do we even want to own a uh, team? Do you know? Do we want to own it? Do we want to put ourselves out there? I believe we do, but you know, the proof is in pudding, as my mom already said. So, we'll see what happens when in in the future. Well. What I'll say is I think a lot of the problem does uh, uh, take hold with the ownership. And I think that's also a bigger problem with why we see such a lack of diversity. One of the things that I think back on is uh, back when we were growing up, and Novak, you brought up this point that 70% 70 of the league is African-American, right? But then when you look on the sidelines, especially when we were growing up, there were no black head coaches. And um, I was looking back on – and I did some research and um, I didn't realize that Bill Walsh, he actually started up like a, um, an intern diversity program for like young ex expiring uh, coaches of color. So what he did is he allowed these coaches to come in. They would basically shadow him and work with him and kind of learn the ropes of what coaching was all about. So this was a program that was near and dear to him because he saw that the diversity was lacking as well. And he actually did something about it. And do you guys have any idea of the names of the coaches that came out of this program? Well, I think uh, I think two was I believe was Tony Dungy, wasn't it? Tony Dungy, Dennis Green, I believe. Yep, Tony Dungy, uh, Dennis Green, Herm Edwards, Ray Rhodes. Yeah, Herm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it wasn't a lot, right? Yeah. And so then also, what happened was this program became so uh, popular that the NFL instituted it with other teams within the league. So now you have other coaches of color that have come through that program. Mike Tomlin, Anthony Lynn, Marvin Lewis, Lovey, 
uh, Hugh Jackson and Raheem Morris. So uh, when we look at that, it makes me wonder, okay, so we did such a great job with one innovative mind, Bill, Bill Walsh, saying, hey, here's a problem, and here's going to be my solution to the problem. And you see all these names and all these coaches that came out of there. But then now when you look at the game, we're starting to run into the same issues that we had decades ago. So I do agree with the points that you guys are making, but I also think that there may be some sort of deeper issue. Um, and I would definitely like to dig into it a little bit more with you guys. So we've seen in the news in the last couple of weeks, the, the NFL uh, with the, uh, the Rooney rule. Uh, what do you guys think about that Rooney rule? I don't think it works. I don't think it works. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a form of affirmative action, but when you look at the Rooney rule, if you look at what's happened, you know, in the last three years, there's been, you know, there's been 19 head coaching vacancies in the last three years. Right. And there's only been two, there's only been two African-American coaches that filled those roles out of 19. So there were 17 other opportunities out there. I think that the, the problem with the problem with the Rooney rule is that, it's kind of like a token link situation. You're only doing these interviews just to make it seem that, you know, things are in a certain way. You know, it's more like a, it's like putting a shade on, <laughs> putting a shade on a lamp at this point. But we interviewed them, so that means they were cool right now. We gave them a chance to talk about it, but we're not going to get a job. So I think it's more tokenism. Plus, you got to also understand the mind state of a person going to take that interview, knowing that there's no chance in hell you're getting this job. We're only doing this just so we can do it as a courtesy. I see the Rooney rule more as a courtesy rule and it kind of basically it's a cover your ass situation from those owners and those, uh, those executives, you know, in the NFL where they do it just to just a key piece at this point. It's a, it's a slap in the face. That's Correct. what it is. Yeah, that's, that's it, 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 Hey, I agree. Press Novak, you guys hit it right on the head. It's a, it's another, it's another uh, form of affirmative action. It's another, you call it your, or, or your civil rights act. And it shouldn't be. If you will qualify a candidate, and if you have, if you're an owner, you need this position filled, and you see this 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 person who who's qualified and who think you think they can lead your team into a to a Super Bowl. Here we go. What color got to do with it? So it, it shouldn't be this this rule. But okay, since since it is Rooney Rule, okay, we all know where it came from. If not, it came from Dan Rooney, the former owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, he passed with 2017. Rest in peace. You know, he brought in Tom, Tom, uh, uh, Mike Tomlin. You know, Tomlin, you know, won the Super Bowl in uh, back in, in 09. You know, so it we could we can play the game. We can not only play the game, we can coach the game. We can lead the game. We, we need to get this color shit out of here. It doesn't matter. We're all the same thing. We're all the same people. But you know, when you get people, when you get people in these high positions who think uh, these racist thoughts, you know, it can be I I implicit. You know what I'm saying? But it's still racist, and and people need to get off of that. You know, this is 2020. Jesus Christ, man! Hire the people. Hire the people who feel is best candidate, no matter what race or creed or color. Well, you know. So, what? You know uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Perez. Yeah. I, I'm going to push back on you slightly on this. So I do agree with what you're saying in, in, in the sense that I think that this rule is ineffective. I think a CEO should hire whoever the fuck they want to hire for their organization. However, right. Right. I believe that the, the playing field should be fair and level. 
So to exactly. Novak's yeah, point, we know that a lot of times these guys are going in for these interviews, they're token interviews. The job's already been offered to another person because you'll hear Adam Schefter leaking the rumor, such and such is going to this place. Well, there's a fucking guy that's interviewing right now for the job. So it's like, that's, going, that's showing you right there that this Rudy rule is being circumvented and it doesn't work. But I think the biggest we'll thing to look at oh, here... No, no, I'm sorry, man. I'm just getting a little fired up. I think the biggest thing to look at here when it comes to this rule is putting something in place that's fair and not some fucking check-the-box type of mentality to diversity. You know, as as a black man, I just – I don't want a situation where I feel like I'm getting a job because of the color of my skin. I want a job because I'm the best fucking guy for this position. Right, because you qualify. And and, and that's that's what I was saying. Now, the only thing with this Rooney rule, you you will get somebody in the position because of that, uh, because of their uh, qualification. Maybe it's something that the owner or whoever, the GM or whatever, didn't see at first, didn't see at first, would be able to, you know, say, all right, we take a look at this guy. Now, that's what I'm saying. That's the only good thing about this, this Rooney rule, but it shouldn't have come down to this. But okay, we'll we we gonna see we gonna see this person out, and they're like, oh man, you know what? This cat here, he he actually he actually know what he's talking about. He actually, I feel that he can actually be a good candidate for for this position. But of course, you know, people with these type of uh, situation, they try to make it out and and, 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 and to to bet to better them because they even talking about tweaking it where if you are. If you do uh, accept somebody or hire somebody with this rule, you'd be able to move up in, in the draft selections. You see how people do? And I, and, I, and I think that's trash, too. You see how people do? Ain't that something? So now, like you said, Perez, what you just said, you was like, you don't want to get this job because, oh, man, now it's a sentence for them. You're supposed to get this job because you, you're, the best, you're the best person for this, for this position. So there's some things that need to tweak with it. Like I say, it's it shouldn't be this way in 2020, but okay, maybe okay. There's a shot for somebody who didn't who didn't have a shot in in the beginning. That's how I look at it. No, I I, t- I totally agree. I mean, it's it's so weird that you know in 2020 we're still dealing with stuff from the 60s and 70s. That's why I get a little bit frustrated because mm-hmm. you know society has not advanced far enough to the point where you know, people are people. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, I look at, I look at, you know, in the workplace, I look at things, you know, there's racism and there's classism. I think classism ultimately is going to assume, it's going to consume racism at some point because what's happening a lot, you know, with the NFL right now, if you notice is uh, in the NBA and other major sports teams, as people get more educated and people start to develop more wealth, you're going to get a higher quality candidate as evolution takes place here. I think that right now, like what you see in the NFL is that NFL is taking steps backwards. You know, like they started that black, you know, the black coach and the black coach development uh, camp, you know, black coach uh, development situation. But they should have did the same thing with the CEO and executive situation, to be honest with you. I mean, you could be more effective by developing that at the the CEO level opposed to the, the other level. And, you know, it just, it just makes a big difference, you know what I mean, in that situation. I mean, I think that you got to go higher up the, up the chain in order to make a difference. I think the coaching change, the coaching changes are so small and minute compared to what the CEO or executive can do for that team, if you know what I mean. It's messed up because, um, you know, people, 
people give you an inch and they expect that you'd be happy with that. And I think at this point, we got to want more than an inch, you know, as African-Americans in the NFL because we are the revenue. They're the ones out there making these, making everybody's payday and putting people's kids mm-hmm. through college. And, you know, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar fucking, you know, league. And so the thing about it is- Well, they get wealthy off of it. Get wealthy yep. off of it. Guys can't yeah. even remember what they did yesterday due to CTE and stuff like that. But the NFL is just humming along. And that's my issue with the NFL. But they got to do you, more. But you, can't get a, but you can't get a seat at the table. Correct. No seat at the table. You can't even sit at the kid table. <laughs> you know, they, they, they put your NFL network as, a, as an ex-player for a couple of years. You'll say something wrong or you accuse of some accusation, you're off. And they're going to get the next guy who just retired two years ago. That's what they do. They, they, give you, uh, they give you these people for a couple of years. They take them away. They end, up doing, they end up going somewhere else or getting totally out of the sport. And they show up for like a, you know, like for the Hall of Fame ceremonies. That's what the NFL does. NFL is not really connected to the former players the way I want it to be. Those former players have made a lot of money for them. They should be in positions of power at this point. No, you're absolutely right. And look at even the situation with Eric Bieniemy, the uh, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. It is highway robbery that this guy still doesn't have a head coaching job. He was passed over for every position this offseason. They, they went and got a guy, Matt Rule, from college and gave him a job. Joe Judge from college got a job over the guy that led the number one offense in all of the NFL who coached Patrick Mahomes. Now, you tell me why this guy doesn't have a head coaching job. I don't know. I, I, you know all you look at, it, they, they, you, show, you show the product that they work. Whatever they touch or whatever they teach and stuff like that, they, they know – they get the master, they get the skills, they get the know-how and the sets to 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 get the most out of their players. So why they don't have a head job, a head coaching job? It's it's beyond me. Is it is it because they don't they don't want them in their on their organization? See, these are the things that uh, these owners have to explain. And you give somebody else a job, you know, you know what? Well, let's call it let's call it spade a spade. Hey, you know what? They don't want there because they, because they they black, right? Is is that fair to say? If if I'm wrong, then they need to tell they need to tell us otherwise. Well, I think I just think that all the way around, we need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I that, agree. That's, that's the thing. I I totally agree. I mean, it's you know, it just it's just I want to you know you want to see people in higher position in the field to elect the people on the field. Because, you know, you can't have that mentality that we have right now where it's like <laughs> these guys are expandable parts at this point. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes to being a professional athlete. You know, there's a lot of good days and bad days. There's surgeries. There's sacrificing your, your family, your relationships and stuff like that. You know, and I think that they got to do more to give, to give it back. And I think it's, it's, just, it's just what it is at this point. I mean, I think that um, – you know, to, to go, you know, to go into a press box in the NFL and see no people of color in that box, <laughs> except for a player that pretty much, um, except for a player that pretty much who they consider to be the franchise player from ten years ago, walking around the box, and he still doesn't get that respect he should be getting. I mean, he should be higher up the food chain than just a a guy who comes in and, and signs autographs for season ticket holders at this point. I mean, it's a circus, definitely. No, I, I definitely agree with that, too. And the one thing I want to just kind of point out is why I think it's so important for us to have these type of conversations. Because, listen, guys, I mean, this is the type of dialogue that I don't think a lot of people are having on their platforms. 
And I really hope that people that are listening to this, whether you agree with the viewpoints or not, that you can learn to look at things with a different lens. And maybe just try to understand where we may be coming from with this. You know, so this is not an issue where we're trying to point the finger and say, oh, you know, do it this way or do it that way. All we're basically trying to say here is, what is the problem? What is the issue? What ideas are you guys looking into to actually fix this problem without it making it feel like it's just another check in the box type of a, a mentality? What were you going to say, uh, Jules? No, it's, 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 we, need the real, we need the real reason. And we need to have this conversation and we need to have a real conversation. And we can't be offended or, or, or scared about what, what we're going to hear, might hear, and vice versa. Because what we're seeing is, look, Johnny Cochran said, and Johnny Cochran been been gone for a long time. He released a study show that black coaches, despite having winning or higher percentage, winning, winning games, were less likely to be hired or more likely to be fired than their white counterparts. And, and it, it, this is what we see in the day. NFL have 32 teams. It's like like nobody said, 70% black uh, uh, percentage of the uh, players are black. But not even 25% of them have coaching jobs, head, are head coaches. The NFL right now only have three three uh, black coaches. You know, that's Mike, Tom, uh, Mike Tomlin and uh, Anthony Lynn from uh, Chargers and uh, Brian Flores. Yep. Out of Miami. Miami. Yep. So that's why this issue is good that we're having this 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 topic, this conversation, because it needs to be bring bring brought out to the light to to see, okay, what's going on so we can talk about it, deal with deal with the issue is and let's get some hiring going on as far as black coaches or 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 whoever, Hispanic or whatever, you know, whatever. You know, you just won't we just want the, the answer and we just want fairness in this because 32 teams and so you can get three black uh, coaches that that's telling you something. And if you don't want this, if you don't want your business here to be labeled as such, then we need to know what, what what's going on. Right. And okay. then another thing, if, if they don't want to give it to us, well, maybe we need, in collective, we need to put our money, I say we, like I got some money. We need to put our money together in, and let's, let's get an expansion team going on. Let's get our own team. Why we got to sit up there and wait for their team? You know what? What's the numbers? We got, we got old stadiums that's nobody using. We got a stadium over there in Oakland. We got a stadium in, in, in L.A. that hey, maybe, maybe, maybe we get our own teams and bring our own teams in, this, uh, 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 in the NFL. If they don't want to give us a seat, we'll make our own. We make our own seat. We make our own dinner table. Well, that's that's a good point, Jules, and we'll definitely get into that aspect later later on in this episode because you do bring up a good point, and we'll definitely touch on that. Um, what I was going to basically quickly say here, uh, just to kind of sum up where we are as far as this particular topic is concerned, uh, when you look around the league right now, you see a situation where you have basically star players of color that are basically being marketed and basically being used to basically grow this NFL and to grow the revenue and just to make this league popular beyond belief. However, we still see a lack of diversity within not only the coaching ranks, but then in the executives as well. When we look at the NBA, the NBA has shown itself to be one of the more progressive leagues out there. The NBA has men of color, 
not only within the culture ranks, but we have men of color within the executive ranks, and we also have African-American owners as well within the league. Uh, you have Robert Johnson uh, that owned the Hornets. You know, you have Michael Jordan that now owns the Hornets. So you see that the NBA actually not only talks the talk, but they actually back it up. They walk that walk as well. They also have women coaches. They're gonna, there's going to be a woman mm-hmm. head coach in the league probably right, within right. the next year, year and a half. So what is it about the NBA that they can get it figured out, but the NFL seems to, to trip over themselves every chance they get? Well, with the, with the NBA, you do have the WNBA. You also do have, uh, you know, there's there's women's basketball in college, and there's also women there's also women's coaches, in the at the college level. Basketball is kind of genderless almost at a certain point. If you think about it, you could be a you could be a great basketball man like Pat Summit in women's basketball, and you could still apply those principles to the NBA game and vice versa. But the NFL, the NFL has a hard has a hard situation of, um, of you know, in that regard of like keeping diversity there because it's traditionally seen as a suburban foot, a suburban sports league, where you think about like even at the lower levels of uh, football, you know, the youth football league is the youth football situation is totally messed up most inner cities because they're only teaching, you know, how to run the football, maybe how to block, but they're not teaching these, they're not teaching those quarterback skills sometimes. So you get a kid that's behind a little bit on technique and stuff like that and development, they get to high school or something like that. And they spend most of their freshman year in high school learning how to be a football player. They might've been the fastest kid, you know, in their area, had good hands, but there's words and stuff for those techniques and there's, there's verbiage and there's language that people miss and stuff like that, that they don't get until they get to high school. And then it's looked at, it's looked at them by, you know, that other coach <laughs> who might be Caucasian or something like that at that point, like how can you play this sport if you can't speak the language or you can't, if you don't have the knowledge. So there, you know, there's some, there's some issues there. They look down on you in that situation. They feel that you should speak the same verbiage. You should speak the same language. You should be on the same page as your counterparts who might've grew up playing football in a more structured environment, according to them. But the structure is relative into who's, you know, who's was in that structure, if you know what I mean. But I think, um, I think the NFL. I think the NFL's issue basically diversity starts at the lower levels. I mean, you got to encourage more minorities, more you know, more people of color, and just not men, women, everybody to get more involved. But they got to mm-hmm. be given an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right, Novak. So basically, I mean, I man, I really love this 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 uh, segment that we had here. That that was really good. I mean, we definitely all kind of had our own uh, individual approaches, but we all still have the same common thread on this. What do you guys think are some ideas that we can actually inspire real change on this issue? Like I said, like, like I said earlier, see, the only reason, the only thing, you, only way you're going to have change is if people change. That's the only change you're going you're gonna to get. Now, if people change their mentality the way they think, then you're going to have real change. Like Novak said, Minorities need to get involved and want to be in these positions, but also the people that's in these positions need to give opportunities. That's the only thing. So change needs to be on both sides of the, fo- of, the, of the field. I totally agree. I mean, you know, you know, it has to come from multiple different places. It has to, you know, things have to change a lot across the board. I mean, in order to get to that position. 
Um, it's going to take it's going to take years to get to that point. I mean, but at the same time, it's how you start. How you start is how you finish in these regards. But mm-hmm. you know, the big thing is you know if you look at you know how they teach these youth programs to sports, how you you know how you get people more involved, or whatever. I mean, I think I think it just takes it takes more effort and it takes more compassion and empathy at this point in order to get that up and going. And then they gotta respect the fact that people are trying to pick up that that lingo, that language, and they get they have to accept them into that culture. It has to be a cultural change before there's a, a racial mm-hmm. change in NFL. I agree with that too. Um, one of the ideas that I had, and, and definitely guys push back on me as I kind of roll out a couple things that I had, but I was really up thinking about this topic over the last couple of weeks. But one of the things that I thought about. Um, I know that the league every year they have those uh, league meetings um, where all the coaches and executives get together. So one idea that I had, you know, and I was thinking about was how about allow some of your more promising uh, candidates, whether they're like uh, internal, you know, coordinators, assistant head coaches, anybody that you think that has potential, allow them to actually go to those meetings as well. Because I think that a lot of times, and you guys may agree with me, Relationships matter. It doesn't matter um, whether we're talking about the NFL, the NBA, or corporate. Most Nine times out of ten, you're going to get a job probably based on a relationship personally that you have with someone. So a lot of times these candidates, especially ones of color, they don't have that chance to develop a lot of those networking opportunities. So I think that you give these guys an opportunity to maybe network and basically be around not only their coaches, but get around these executives, get around these owners and kind of get a feel for, you know, what they like in a coach. But also it gives these candidates a chance to kind of get their name out there to give them a little visibility as well. I think also it would be cool to have like some sort of diversity panel where you would have like a Tony Dungy or Herm Edwards or someone that's kind of been down this road before to kind of talk to these potential candidates of color or diverse candidates they kind of give them an idea of, hey, this is what the NFL journey is like. This is the things that you should be doing to prepare. This is how you should attack the interview process. This is what you should be doing to prepare yourself. And I think this is the type of dialogue uh, that, in my opinion, I think kind of goes a long way towards creating an actual real solution to the problem and not awarding a team draft picks for, you know, for drafting or, I mean, for hiring a certain person. I mean, what do you guys think? Now, now, see, Prez, what you what you said right there is what exactly the playbook they need, because if you if the owners and people do that, that furthermore shows that they serious about this race relation thing. It's 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 simple. What you said was just simple. Help bring in the candidates that let them learn and study and get under the owners, see what they're about. The owners see what these these cats about. And then, OK, we have a dialogue. I don't look at this person as just a color or I don't look at this owner who's just, just a racist or something like that. You begin to humanize it and be per, be personable. And then you learn to understand from each other. And that's how you build. And that's how you grow. The NFL, it makes billions of dollars. It can make trillions if that will happen. I agree. So you, I, so you write about, so Perez, you write about the hell you need to just send that in what you just said, just send it in and see if they, see if they listen. I agree. You could take it a step further than that. I mean, the NCAA is the dark horse in this situation, right? They have the ability to train and create these programs, you know, from the ground up. Internships, 
you know, stuff like that. I mean, they could, you know, you know, Prez is right about that. You know, you have to build that structure though. The structure is, the structure can be built by having internships at the college level because there's a lot of kids in college that are not going to go play in the NFL. And if you started early, you figure out and identify those people. And there's a lot of intelligent athletes out there who can make a difference at, you know, at a different role. Everybody's not going to be the quarterback. Everybody's not going to be the wide receiver. But he could be a, a executive. He could, you know, follow that path. But no one teaches you how to become an NFL executive. You know, in our world, it's more, it's more, um, you know, birthright <laughs> and it's more birthright situation with becoming an NFL executive or becoming an NFL owner at this point. But you can you can breed those relationships like you mentioned before. You can create those opportunities. But I think it starts by you know revamping the college curriculum a bit to have like NFL studies or or ownership studies and stuff like that. And then you could basically take that knowledge and transition it to more opportunities for minorities and people that want to get involved in the sports at a higher level. Because you know no one you know you're in sports. No one tells you about these roles. They just appear and you end up getting a paycheck from somebody. <laughs> That's what I noticed. Uh, you you definitely right about that too. And um, another thing that I kind of thought about too, uh, just along this uh, this talk track, earlier in this uh, conversation, I brought up Eric Bieniemy's name. So in one instance, I feel that he definitely uh, should be a head coach. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought, well, it's probably a reason why he got passed over. So the NFL has a rule, or I think individual teams may have a rule where their their candidate their basically uh, people on their staff while they're still going on in a playoff run, I don't think that you can interview one of the people on their staff. And so it penalizes coaches like Eric Bieniemy, who's basically, basically vying for a Super Bowl because the, sometimes the head coaches don't want their uh, assistant coaches or offensive coordinators to be distracted while they're prepping for a Super Bowl. So another mm -hmm. idea that I thought about was why don't we just eliminate that rule? I mean, you mean to tell me that you don't think that a grown man, woman, whoever can multitask? You don't think that they can uh, prepare for an interview while also preparing for a game? I just think that that's a flawed thinking, and, and that's also keeping people from getting uh, opportunities to promote themselves. I mean, what do you guys think with that one? I mean, every league, every league has that rule. The NBA does, NFL does, hockey has it. I think, I think it is a flawed rule, but at the same time, I think they're thinking more of a competitive situation because if he's preparing for the other opportunity and they kind of, they kind of look at it as one, they don't really want to see the person leave because they, they had to replace the person. Two, they're looking at a situation like, what if this person checks out on us knowing he's going to get a bigger payday, <laughs> you know, in that regard. So I think it's, it's tough because, you you know, everybody's mentality is different. You know what I mean? You might, you know, somebody might be perfect for this rule and might get an opportunity they might get passed over, over with otherwise. But I think that, um, you know, they should get rid of it. And they should basically talk about the reality that, you know, people leave jobs. It's just like corporate America. You know, everybody's put a two-week notice in somewhere and sort of checked out a little bit. But at the same time, you still got work to do for two weeks. And if it's during the playoffs, it's much shorter than that. It's a brief time. You know what I mean? They should get rid of that rule. Well, how, how, long, is he, how long is this interview? It could be days. It could be weeks. You know, it, okay. it, depends, it depends upon what role you're interviewing for. You know, maybe, maybe, they, can, maybe they can condition. Maybe they can make it where it's not so long. Could, it, could. could that be possible? Or 
It's possible, but you also got to control social media. I think it depends, like you said, Novak. I think it depends on the position. I've seen in some situations with the head coaching interview process that it could be a series of a couple-hour interviews that could span over a week or so. So, yeah, I mean, you have to definitely take into consideration time for sure. You also got to control social media because if they hear he's interviewing for – he or she is interviewing for a new job, then it becomes right. the news. They're going to bring it up during every team uh, press conference. I heard he's looking to take a new job, and that's going to become a distraction. And I think it might be a little – that might be a little bit damaging to some of those players that, you know, look up to that coach or that, you know, that particular personnel member because they build relationships with these people. And one thing with sports is when you build relationships with a player or a coach, you want to hear your person. You want to hear – you want to know that your person is going to be there next year, if you know what I mean. And sometimes that can affect free agency. There's a lot of variables there, but I think the first thing would be to do like a media blackout about those conversations. You know, no social media, no interaction about it. You just don't. Maybe they can try it. to. Yeah, kind of disclose that, and also maybe um maybe, maybe try to. Can't they do it like on the off season where you ain't if if the team's in the playoffs that is not interfering with with them preparing for the next next round. Or it's just not enough time. It's not enough time. It's not enough time. It has, no. you see, huh? see, the NFL starts their process looking for a coach during the playoffs, which is stupid. They could change. Mm. They could change when they look for a coach. That might be the best way to fix the issue. Yeah, right. Don't hire. Don't hire anybody during the playoffs. Wait. That should, should be like a, you know, there should be like a period where there's no transactions during the playoffs, and let and let and let, give everybody a fair shot at the end of the playoffs. That'd be the easiest way to solve the problem. Yeah, wouldn't that be the easiest way? Would that be a fair 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 answer there? I mean. I think that would be a step in the right direction, at least as far as those coaches that are getting squeezed out. I do think that that's a really good point there, Novak. I do like that. Oh, you know, one thing, too, I just thought about while you were saying that, you know, this is going to go back to Bill Walsh again. But uh, Denny Green, he was on Bill Walsh's staff, and Bill Walsh actually allowed Denny Green to interview when the Niners were playing in the Super Bowl back in the early 90s. Because that was when Denny Green got the job with the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So he allowed him to to kind of go through that interview process. So I mean, you got an example there of Bill Walsh, but Bill Walsh was also very progressive. So I think it takes someone to actually have that type of ideology uh, to make these type of things uh, actually happen. Yeah, he was yeah, progressive. That, that's somebody that that's somebody that actually wanted see that, that look at the person for what they can do instead of the color of the skin. That's all. Look at him as a human being. That's all. If he can do the job, fine. Give him a shot. But I think deeper than that, I think Bill Walsh saw that the lack of diversity was a slap in the face of players because he looked at the league that he probably had Jerry Rice and he's looking at it. He's like, I have one of the greatest receivers of all time on my team. And he look around at the league and there's no people <laughs> that look like this guy. You know, and he's the, one of the mm-hmm. players that they're marketing in that league. So I agree with that to a degree. But I also think that Bill Walsh probably just saw it as a problem that there was no diversity at all, but I think yeah, because team, Dennis, d- d- yeah, because Dennis Green was the re- receiver coach, I believe, or offensive uh, coordinator, or whatever, I, I believe, at, with at the 49ers. Yeah, he was one of his coordinators. Yep, yep. The coordinators, right? Okay. But but that also opens a whole another bucket there. You know, if you know if Dennis, you know Dennis is off, one of the offensive coordinators there, right? And you mentioned Jerry Rice. So you ask yourself that situation, and Jerry Rice, you know, most NFL players are college-educated with degrees, and they went to pretty decent schools, you know, in that situation. 
Now you tell me that Jerry Rice is not a part of anybody's management team at this point, and tell me why he is. You know, because you think about that, that's NFL great. You know, got NFL players different than NBA players because they actually go to college for three to four years or they graduate at this point. So you look around the league and you go, how many NFL players, you know, went to decent schools, graduated from college, did three to four years, went back and got their degrees, and they're not involved in NFL anymore. And they just only come on the sideline to give commentary. That's the reason I get upset sometimes watching ESPN. And I get upset watching like um, some of those shows with Dion and everybody because they're more than just what they do. But I think the NFL has to realize that. Uh, you, you're absolutely right, man. You're absolutely right. Well, fellas, one thing that I do want to touch on with you guys real quick. So, I mean, we're, we're definitely hitting on a lot of topics here in this, uh, in this episode. So we've talked about the Rooney rule and how we feel that it's ineffective. We even brought up ideas for how the NFL could potentially uh, solve its, its uh, racial uh, divide. One area that I wanted to kick over to you, Jules, is when it comes to uh, the opinion of black quarterbacks. Do you still think that a bias exists towards black quarterbacks in the league? You know what? As far as the black quarterback situation is getting a hell of a lot better. As we was coming up, we only had a few black quarterbacks. So now the ties has changed. Now I think teams are looking for that black uh uh that black quarterback to to lead their teams. Now it was once this you had this 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 the stereotype that black uh, quarterbacks couldn't be a leader, couldn't lead a team, wasn't smart enough to play the position. Now we're going to show, now we, we, show, we have shown you that not only they can play that position, but they're leaders and they're winning. They're being, they're successful of what they're doing. And, and that's what teams are looking for now. So yeah, it's, 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 it's different. It got a hell of a lot better. It's different. Um, well, I'll say this to, to Novak's point earlier. He, he mentioned that uh, while, yeah, you're right that there is progress, I still don't think that there's enough uh, progress in that, in that way. The one thing that I'll push back on you on with that, Jules, is the fact that I do agree that they are actually drafting uh, quarterbacks of color now and allowing them to run the show, if you will. However, I still think when people think of African-American quarterbacks, they're still described more for their physicality more than their intellect. They, you, you basically will have a, a, a broadcaster gush over Tom Brady's intelligence and, and all these other different characteristics. But then when they'll talk about a Lamar Jackson, everything's about his athleticism and his unorthodox way of play. And we even saw how uh, Bill Polian ripped apart Lamar Jackson during the, draft pro, uh, during the draft process, basically trying to call him a running back. I mean, so to me, I disagree with you on that just because I do feel that they look at us maybe a little differently than they will the white quarterback. I mean, you, do you well, see where I'm see coming from with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And what I say to that, they full of crap. They only said that to keep those black quarterbacks down. That's it. They don't hold any weight. Everybody have an opinion, right? Everybody's entitled to it. But who gives a shit? Because their opinion ain't shit. They, they, they is not correct because these these athletes is coming in and showing them otherwise. They can still lead. They can, as far as their physicality, cool. That's just a that's just a, a plus with with the quarterback. And they have intellect. You gonna tell me Pat Pat Mahomes don't have intellect? You're a fool. So anybody who say it elsewise don't know shit about don't know shit about be a quarterback. 
don't, don't know shit about their their, their <laughs> intellect or their physical. They don't know shit about it. All they want to do is just keep these brothers down because they're changing the game and they don't like it. That's all. They don't like it. So they have to say that. Who gives a shit? Well, you're right. They don't they don't like it, but you also you also gotta look at the evolution of people at this point. So Pat Mahomes, right? You know, you know, Pat, Pat, correct me if I'm wrong here. Pat Mahomes basically is multiracial. And so what happens a lot of times in those situations, Pat Mahomes probably grew up in a, a predominantly uh, a predominantly a predominantly uh, you know white you know, white situation in the suburbs somewhere. And he, you know, he played multiple sports. He's exposed to a lot of different variables there. And I think what happens in that situation is Pat Mahomes is more likely to get a chance to Lamar Jackson based on based on skin tone, you know, based on skin appearance. You know, Lamar Jackson, who they tried to push when he came out of college as a running back or as a positionless football player. That's the term they like to use. Right. He's a guy, he's such a good athlete, he can play everything out here. Pat Mahomes, they never mentioned being a good athlete. They mentioned him as being an intelligent decision maker. And it's kind of funny. The same, that's the same thing they did with, um, you know, it's the same thing you want to go even deeper into that situation. Let's go back to, let's go back to uh, you know, the NFL situation when they brought in, you know, remember Ray Lucas? You look at the situation, um, or even Warren Moon in that regard. They looked at those guys as great athletes. They never talked about them as being a quarterback. They looked at them as people that could help complete the NFL roster. You know, but when you look at Pat Mahomes, you compare him to Cam Newton, you compare him to Steve McNair, you look at Lamar Jackson, even Geno Smith. <laughs> you know, they look at they look at Pat Mahomes as being a player that basically has the intellect to be a quarterback. And you also you guys also forget about the Wonderlick test. They Wonderlick these quarterbacks. That test is so fucking biased. Now we take a Wonderlick, we Wonderlick um, guys that work sometimes to see the intelligence level. And, you know, from a racial perspective, to be honest with you, I have not seen very much differences between the races. But when you, when you wonder, like, an African-American player wants to be a football, wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, they come back and say he doesn't have quick enough decision-making skills. Because that test measures decision-making totally different than it would have measured against a, 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 white, a white kid who came from the suburbs compared to a black kid who came from urban America. You know, we don't think that way about certain things. So what happens is that unless you had a well-rounded background or, or say you grew up in a multiracial environment where you get the best of both worlds, you know, you're going to probably not do well in the Wonder League, <laughs> you know, because, you know, the ACT and SAT are all, relevant as, are all relevant as well. They look at how these guys' decision make. I mean, Mahomes, they said, was the best decision making Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson just won MVP of the league. You know, the year right. after Mahomes won it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Hey, 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 Novak, say that again. He did what? He just won MVP of the league. And this is a guy who they said basically is borderline inferior mentally. They said that he was, he was not smart enough to stay in the pocket and make a decision. But but Novak, what what what? Why are they saying that? Based off the one lick, they based off those. Tests. Oh, the one lick. It's a culturally biased test, right? Yeah, it's culturally biased, and it's designed. So it's, designed it's designed for, for what? <laughs> is it, well, you want to go there? It's, it's designed to say. <laughs> It's designed to say that that particular person is a better decision maker based on the questions they're asking. So it's, it's BS. All, it's BS. So you know, Cap, Cap Newton flunked the Wonder League. What I get, what I hear. Stephen Air didn't test well, and you know, Geno Smith tested a little bit better. And his career has been so-so. Right. And, uh, you got to look at. You also look at Tony Banks. I don't know if you remember him. Trey yeah, Smith. Didn't te- yeah. Seneca Wallace. You know, the Green Bay Packers said that he was incapable of. Uh, Reading, you know, running the offense based on the one that lake. 
He started for a moment there in that was 2013. He started. I mean, you know, it, it's weird. But if you were to take that test, you give it to somebody and you didn't see what they look like, I wonder what the results would be different. That's always been my question about the Wonder League. If you get a Wonder League and didn't check African American on the box or whatever race you are, would they see the test results differently? That's the thing I always wonder about the Wonder League. And I, I question that at work when I'm hiring people as well because I try not to do it. I want to just test the person and see exactly what comes back, and I don't want to do it based on race at this point. I think it's unfair. Well, Novak, you bring up a good point when it comes to that Wonder League because we've seen people that have had damn near perfect scores in that mm-hmm. Wonder League test, and they've been trash as fuck. You know, Mitch. so Yeah, well, and then you also have Ryan <laughs> Fitzpatrick. So, you know, you have a lot of these guys – that, you know, will quote-unquote say these guys are book smart and this and that. But guess mm-hmm. what? That's got nothing to do about X and O's, X's and O's and reading defenses. And I think mm-hmm. another problem that comes in is that coded language that these broadcasters use. And to me, and this is my opinion, so hey, listeners, if you don't agree with press, that's fine. I'm still going to talk more shit. But what I think that coded language, it really just brings us back to a darker time in, in our American history. Because that language, mm-hmm. all it does is just leads into stereotypes that I just think that are unfair and unfounded. Because a lot of times people still, when they think of a black quarterback, they think that they can't read a defense. They think that basically they rely on athleticism and that these quarterbacks are often too eager to escape the pocket and they're confused by sophisticated defenses. So mm-hmm. you guys brought up the example, uh, I think that was you, uh, Novak, you brought up the example of Patrick Mahomes. You can't say that shit about Patrick Mahomes. This is an example of a quarterback. He does everything that a standard quarterback could do. He's mm-hmm. got a little extra flair to his game. So the media can't paint him in a box and say he can't throw from the pocket because the guy can't. They can't say he can't read defenses because he does process the game. And actually, he's only 23 years old. And he's actually one of the mm-hmm. best at the game at reading defense. I mean, you guys agree with that? Well, I agree. I agree. I agree, but- totally. Totally. Well, they also see him as a hybrid, if you think about it. You got the athleticism of a black man, and you got the intellect of a white guy. It's the way they look at Pat Mahomes. And it's kind of see, it's really, it's weird when, you, when people describe it and you talk to people off the record about it. They go, well, you know, he grew up different. And I've had that conversation with a few people. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it right see, now. See, that, that, that's a right. You just don't want to get a man his props. Totally. Right. You know, like Press just said, the narrative got to change by these sportscasters. They need to check themselves because they be saying a little slice shit, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Try to keep yep. others down. That's all. Yep. It's the, it's the slick talk, man. I, right. I don't like it. I don't like it's it. real slick. Well, look at Russell Wilson. Now, we didn't even go there. Now, Russell Wilson is probably one of the most hated quarterbacks in the NFL. They always talk about Russell, what Russell doesn't have compared to what Russell's doing. I mean, Russell, Russell's done a lot for the game in Seattle. I mean, you think about Mahomes is getting his props quicker, you know, for people but it's with a slight and asterisk next to it. Russell Wilson is, is doing things to Seahawks, Seahawks he should never did last year. He almost got them almost back to the Super Bowl. By himself. <laughs> By himself. <laughs> and, you know, you know, those past performances are awesome. They say he was too small to be an NFL quarterback. They say he wasn't fast enough. The guy played baseball. He played baseball. He's a damn good baseball player. He's a good athlete. But they don't want to give him those props. No, they, they definitely don't at all. So, Novak, you brought up a point earlier in the conversation. You brought up Warren Moon's name. And a lot of people, when they think of Warren Moon, they probably say, man, one of the, you know, the, the 
best quarterbacks that, you know, that ever played the game. A lot of people don't realize that Warren Moon actually went to the CFL first. You guys yep. have any idea why he did that? Yeah, because they ain't draft his ass. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, pr pretty much, yeah. they ain't draft his ass. So he did. He did what I'm telling people. What I'm telling people to do now. If you can't, if if minorities want to get in that in that press box, hell, you know what? If they don't want to give you the, if you can't buy your way in the press, well, get your own press box. Well, Warren Moon did the same thing. He said, "Well, you know what? Since I ain't get drafted here, I'll just go to the CFL." Then he busts his ass in the CFL. Oh, here's coming the NFL uh, talking. Okay. All right, and then when he get in the NFL, you know, he played with Houston Oilers at the time and stuff like that. You know, uh, uh, pretty much nine Pro Bowls. He had a pretty good career. Nine Pro Bowls, went to the playoffs seven times and stuff. Yeah, but he paved the way for other uh, – he paid the way to, uh, for other quarterbacks this, to this day. Well, I remember reading – I remember when we were younger, he threw for five, over 500 yards in the game. Yep. But yeah. And they also said that he would never have more touchdowns and interceptions. And I re I remember I remember re I remember reading that when I used to collect uh, football cards back in the day. Mm -hmm. And you look at the stats on there. I remember at one point he had like 270, 280 touchdowns. He had like 220 interceptions. He ended up finishing up with like 291 and 233. And that's better. That's better than some of these celebrated quarterbacks in the NFL. Some people's ratios are totally different. You know, touchdown interception uh, ratios are different. I mean, you also you also got to think about it. he also uh, he had 22 rushing touchdowns, which a lot of those quarterbacks back then didn't want to take that risk because hitting you know hitting outside the pocket was a totally different game back then. You got hit outside the pocket in uh, the 80s and 90s, you might die. You know. <laughs> so, oh I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, the game was different then, right? It was, it was, it was, it was really violent then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I mean, you know, Warren Moon is like. Pretty much the predecessor to Kaepernick and other quarterbacks. You think about it. I mean, Cap. You know, I see Warren Moon. I think about Kaepernick. You know, to a large to a large degree. Well, I'll, I'll say this, man. I mean, Warren Moon. I mean, he had a rocking arm, and you, you, you. That's a great uh, comparison because Kaepernick, man, his deep ball. I mean, that Ooh. thing was a rope. It's beautiful to see that tight spiral. You know, fly down the field. I mean, he. You know, like Warren, Warren's an okay athlete. Kevin is okay athlete, but they got cannons. You know, like like the difference between them and Lamar. Ja Lamar Jackson's attribute his legs. He's he's intelligent enough to say, "You can't do, you can't take me. Down. I'm gonna run you over." And so that's what makes Lamar interesting. Lamar is a hybrid of, of Vic without the arm. I mean, mm -hmm. he doesn't have, he doesn't have the accuracy yet, but he can develop that. He's you know that guy is good enough athlete to teach him anything. Uh, you you bring up a good point there. Uh, so I mean, obviously, we, you know, you brought up a couple names here on on this on this conversation real quick. You brought up Cam Newton, and Cam Newton was also another dual threat. Uh, but Cam Newton also has paid the price for that style of play because you know he's a little beat up, and that's probably why he's unsigned right now, just because teams don't have the ability to actually bring him in for a physical to you know to take a look at him. But Cam Newton in his prime, I mean, that guy was a freak of an athlete. But it's oh, more yeah. to Cam. It's more to the Cam situation than that, Press, to be honest with you. I think Cam, super athlete, hell of arm, big quarterback, huge quarterback. It's like trying to tackle a small tank, trying to bring him down. But the thing with Cam Newton is that Cam, you know, they, because Cam Newton is more of a, a person who speaks his mind and says what he feels when he thinks. There was no place, in, you know, there's no place in certain NFL, you know, franchises for that type of quarterback especially of color at this point. 
And I think what happened with Cam Newton is he fell into the trap of having an opinion. And there's nothing wrong with having an opinion, but people don't want to hear the quarterback. You know, they always complain that he wasn't intelligent, but he's intelligent, intelligent enough to articulate what's not right in the world. And that's where Cam Newton kind of pretty much got into a really dangerous situation because um, they respect the athleticism, but they don't want to do the locker room presence. They don't want him telling people they can be more than what they are. And I think that's what that's where I think Cam fell into a dark spot because he started dressing differently. He started telling people what he felt. He started snapping back on the media, and they didn't know what to do. So, you know, his stay, his stay in Carolina came to an end because – because Cam started turning more into activists, he started seeing the bigger picture, and they didn't like that. They want you to throw foot. They want they want you to be an athlete. They want you to throw footballs, stay healthy, and shut up. And I think Cam Cam transitions to more, and he used his platform for what it should be used for, and that's the reason why he's he's having a hard time finding his job. So you know what? That's 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 a really good point, and I, I was going to say just it, it it basically takes me into a name that you brought up a few seconds ago, Colin Kaepernick. Now, this is another person that remains unsigned, hasn't been in the league for three years. Jules, talk to me about why you think that Kaepernick is unsigned. Kaepernick's unsigned because Kaepernick don't want to play football. It's simple. He don't want to play football. He show you. He, 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 well, shit, I don't even know if he show you, but it, it, it is multiple things. Uh, he had this, 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 what you call it? He had this. Um, what you, what you call that thing you had a couple the of years last year? Yeah, the workout thing, and in November of last year, and when when he had it, it, it was a little bit of a circus. He changed the venue and stuff like that. Okay, when teams teams want to come out and and check him out, you know, it, after he finished, he was saying, "Well, I'm not running. Where's the where's the 32 teams at? Why are they running?" Where's Roger Goodell? Why is he running and stuff? And it was like, brother, if you want to play football, play football. You know what I'm saying? Show them what you can do. Dude, obviously, you can play the game. Show them what you can do. If you want a job, you got to kind of you got to kind of sell yourself and, and, and stop bad mouthing about the uh, about the organization. I think he just didn't want to play football. He wanted to be this this activist and stuff, which is which is cool. I, you know, I don't have a problem with it. But if he really wanted to play the game, he would he would have been in the NFL by now. So, uh, Jules, you uh you 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 think that that league organized uh, private workout for Kaepernick was a legit opportunity for him to get back into the league? I'm just I'm just. I mean, it could be. It could be. It's it, it's it's it was some if. If you if he set this up and he had teams to come down there to check him out, it could be quite possibly that he could have been signed. Now, even Kaepernick's lawyer said it was two teams that was interested in him. Now, what happened with that, I don't know. But the comment I, I believe he made didn't help him in any. Baltimore Ravens wanted to take a look at him, but Cap's girlfriend said something and that kind of got squashed. John but Elway, was, but John, that, John, but that John, was that was before this interview. Right, that, right. That, that was way before. Yeah, yeah. Right, that was way before this this little camp thing. So, mm-hmm. it so even John Elway kind of spilled the beans and said they was even looking at him, but he wasn't supposed to say that. Right. Okay. So, I believe it was he won. I believe teams would have picked him up if he was serious. I, I, me personally, I didn't understand uh, Kaepernick's position in all this. 
because he was talking about one thing, kneeling for the national anthem, talk about police uh, uh, oppression against against uh, uh, black people and stuff like that. And he he said he wanted to play the game, but I think he's just just overall where he was coming from. I was just a little confused. I didn't know which way he was coming from. Only thing I can go by is what he's showing me and what he had showed me that he didn't want to play the game. Well, what I look at is what the NFL has shown me. The NFL has shown me that 32 owners colluded to keep this man out of the league. And then they come up with this workout that I thought was a piece of shit workout opportunity anyway. They had no intention on signing him because if you were going to sign this guy, then you would have signed him three years ago when Tom Savage and all of these trash quarterbacks are getting jobs over a guy that basically played in the Super Bowl. Now, I do agree that there's probably a level of uh, Kaepernick maybe wanting to be a martyr in this situation, but let's just let's call facts facts here, Jules. I think that the NFL, this workout was just a sham to get people off of the scent of basically saying that Kaepernick was being blackballed. I think that the league was doing this to just try to say, hey, look, guys, we're giving them an opportunity here. And I think Kaepernick saw that opportunity for what it was and said, you know what, fuck that. I'm not playing ball here. He, so he basically had his own workout. And I like that move because what the league was doing, I think, was disingenuous. I don't think that it was basically an opportunity for him. I think it was just a dog and pony show where they could show people, like, look, here, here's a workout. Here are all the teams. These guys could have signed this guy years ago. Well, yeah. But see, the thing is, you had teams that was interested in them, interested in signing them. But why not they? all teams? Not but all teams. They? But you had a couple. Now, let's not get it twisted now. Cap did something the NFL didn't like. Ratings went down eight percent. What did he do? Well, he he said he 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 kneeled uh, doing this national anthem. Okay, so did he? Uh, let me ask you: Did he? Uh, did he kill somebody? Did he? Uh, did he beat his woman no. or his wife? No, 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 no. I'm not saying what he, I'm not saying what he not no, no, saying what he no. did I'm, was. I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture for the audience here that's listening to this dialogue. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, he didn't do any of them things which other people have done. But I'm just saying what he did. The NFL didn't like. And who controls the NFL? We just sit up and talk about that. They didn't like that. The ratings went down 8%. 30% of people said they didn't like it because he was kneeling. Not right, right, wrong, good, indifference. Hey, that's that's people's opinion. But oh yeah, there was if he didn't think what he did, he was gonna get no no slack or no 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 backlash on it. He's sadly mistaken. You're right. You're right. I you know mean, what I'm saying? I'm not saying that what they did is right. Yeah, they blackballed that boy, but he fucked with their money. Right. And they had to make a make an example out of him. But do you think that was the right example to make? So basically what you're trying to say is you, you just want your players to shut up and play. No, no, no. You No. I'm looking at it as the, uh, the, the people who's running the NFL. What he's doing, he has a right to do. Okay. I'm just giving you and with the people what the, the, maybe the logic, the reason why they did what they what they did. That's all. Hell, he could protest all he wanted. He was kneeling for the natural anthem, which is a sign of respect. He right. has a right to do that. If right. they have a problem with it, Roger Goodell could have implemented a rule saying, hey, everybody stand for the national anthem. Simple, well, like they do in the NBA. Simple. Well, the NFL but tried to do that, and they got black, they got, uh, they got black backlash for that. They tried to make that rule. I don't know if you remember that, though, but... No, they, they tried, but, you know, they tried in that situation, but the thing about 
you know, with the NBA and other sports, it's like an unspoken rule. You don't do that. You know, like even when people stand up, you know, when they play the national anthem, you know, before you start a game, everybody stands up and they show respect unless you're, unless you're disabled or you might be from another country. Even from another country, look at stand up right now. But I think with Kaepernick is, you know, to be honest with you, it's like, yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted, I think he wanted to be a martyr to a certain extent. And I think he took it to that next level. And I think, I think as he got more attention for standing up for these causes, it intensified. Not that the NFL sat down with him and told him, hey, we respect what you're doing, but you got to stop this. You know, as, as Jules said, he started messing with the money. When you start messing with the money and you get all these other activists involved and, you know, our country is red and blue, when the, you know, when, when the red side saw what he was doing, it got heated. And it also turned into a security issue for Kaepernick at that point. How do you protect him playing in Carolina on a Sunday? How do you protect him playing in Texas, doing that, you know, against the Cowboys? And you know how those Cowboy fans are. Or even against the Raiders, you know, the black hole. I mean, Kaepernick pretty much pissed off the wrong people in that regard. And I respect, I respect his stance, but there's a price for everything. If you're going to be a martyr, if you're going to go to war with the NFL and go to war with, uh, you know, with the media, you better be prepared for the consequences. I, d I do agree with Jules that he did not want to play football. If he wanted to play football, he would have made a compromise. When you work for somebody in this country, there's things you give up. If you, if you got your own company, your own business, you can nail every damn day you want to nail. But when you work for somebody, you got bills to pay. As Captain said, he got to feed his family. He should have got up off that knee. In that situation, or he should have made a compromise. He should have found a more intelligent way to deal with his problem the way he dealt with it. I mean, the NFL, the NFL did give him a fair chance to work out. So I agree with you on that, um, Prez, because they were already pissed off. They already gave him like fifty million dollars to go sit down. They paid him. They paid him a lot of money for the, what was wrong in that situation for blackballing him. He got paid a settlement. So after he got that settlement, they're probably like, "We cool now, right? We cool." Do this workout, we'll bring you back in the NFL. He took the 50 whatever million dollars they gave him, and then he basically started up again, changed the site of the workout, went off the reservation. They said, We done with you. And that's pretty much what happened at that point. I mean, the guy got paid for his pride. If he was so into this moment, he would have never asked for no settlement. I would have never took the cash. Money and everything. If it's, if somebody's not, it's yeah. not, but he also he lost three years of his career. So what I understood yeah. is that. He was paid for the lost wages that he would have had over the course of those three years. Right. He got paid for lost. He got paid for lost wages, but at the same time, at the same time, to be honest with you, the NFL saw it as we paid for peace. Captain saw it as you owe me the money, and I right. think that's what that's where the drama came in there, basically. And they could never get to the same page. Plus, Captain had everybody in his ear. He had every he had every older black civil rights leader sitting at his table, pumping him up every day. You know, for something I don't know what. <laughs> to be honest with you, and I think it's you know it was it was bad advice all around in that situation. NFL yeah, didn't, except for except for Jim Brown, Jim Brown's I think was the only one that told him, "Nah, you, you shouldn't did this." Yeah, but you know what though, guys, I, I I the thing that I have a hard time with in this conversation is what he did versus what players in the league that are doing. I mean, you got guys like Ray Rice, Pac Man Jones. You got guys that are having you know DUIs and. Ray Lewis, and we still don't know where that suit is. Ray, just know mm -hmm. we, we ain't stupid. We, we know you had something to do with the guys in Atlanta or whatever. Mm -hmm. But my point is, you look at the parallels of what these people have done in the league and how the owners, they're real quick. They'll give a guy a second 
third chance. You know what I mean? If, if it's a situation where they feel, oh, this guy can, can help us. But in this situation where Cap, these owners, I think, colluded because they wanted to keep a guy like him from being in their locker rooms because they didn't want that heat of him protesting and their fan base being upset by that with 45 basically probably tweeting about their organization and getting their fan base all riled up. Because you know what this all came down to. You had 45 going after Kyler Kaepernick tweeting about him and getting that other party, like you mentioned uh, earlier, Novak, getting them all riled up. And let's just be honest. This situation with Kaepernick is not a football issue. This is somebody's politics that have allowed them to collude against him. And in some cases, you have to look at his original intent for kneeling and what it's turned to. So his initial intent was to bring awareness to the inequality and the police brutality. And let's just be honest, these are issues that are still prevalent and even gotten worse since he took that initial knee, right? Yeah. But now people have taken it and run with it. It's turned into the flag and being unpatriotic and all these other things. Well, that takes away from what the guy's original stance was. Now, I do respect where you guys are coming from because you guys probably feel that Kaepernick probably doesn't want to play. You guys probably feel like he wants to be a martyr, you know, that he wants to basically be like some sort of a hero for the cause. I, I, I won't dispute that part, but I just want to make sure that we are still taking uh, time here to just realize what happened to this brother and what he was trying to do here. That's all. I, I agree with your points on that. I, you know, I totally respect him. But at the same time, you know, you got to look at it from a perspective of maturity in this regard. You know what I mean? Like, Kaepernick is a pretty smart dude. And he played that card really well. He kept playing that card. He, he beat the horse. He killed the horse. He buried the horse. He dug him back up. And I think that's when things got more intense in that situation. It got really intense because, you know, like, as, you know, as, as Jules said, like, he didn't want to play. I mean, like, you know, if he, you know, you got to find a way to protest without affecting without your bottom line, you know, because it might be did become an issue for him at some point because, you know, those people and those things that he was fighting for, they need money at the end of the day. So when he was not able to uh, take care of some of those groups. When he got that settlement from the NFL, he gave a lot of that money away to those organizations that he was fighting for. And then at that point, the organization looked at him like, we need you to get back in the league or we need you to get some form of income because Kaepernick was the face of why those organizations, you know, from the financial perspective. So, I mean, this situation comes down to money, political, political problems, and a lot of things that which are beyond the table that we never know about. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the NFL has done a, done a really bad job of trying to deal with this. They should have settled this besides getting them his money back, you know, give him the money for the years he missed. It should have been a better settlement. I don't agree with what he took. I think he could have, I think he had he lost his power when he took that money. He should have took the money with some stipulations. That's how I feel about it. I will say taking the settlement did take a little bit of uh wind out of that movement. I will agree with you on that. So yeah, I, I do I do see that. You got anything else see, to that's what, Well, see, that's what I was talking about in the beginning. I didn't know what was his angle. What was his goal? What was the end game? Was he trying to be? Was he trying to bring awareness to, to people being oppressed by police or by the government or whatever? Did he want to play football? I, 
I'm not trying to blast his brother because at the end of the day, he's my, he's our brother. And I want to see him happy of what he want to do. Now, if he wants to take this, take this stand with police brutality and stuff like that, okay, I'm I'm good with you. But he threw me off when he wore the pig socks. He wore the pig socks. Is it is this a, a, a anti-police or, or, or you just trying to get some press? I I, I was a little lost. But to his to his to his to his own record here, he said he did that. He wore them socks because of rogue officers. Okay, fine. If that's the case, okay, I can ride with you because as being a police officer, I was like, hmm, wait a minute now. Are you pro-police or you or you anti-police? And if you're anti-police, then you, you, you're close-minded. We can't even talk. Because, because if you want to solve this issue with transparency or police brutality, then you got to sit down with the police officers. Now, it was it now a county in um in, in uh Alameda County in, in LA invited Cap to come out and, and speak and do a ride along. That's one thing. Outside the outside, people ask me all the time about policing and stuff like that. Really, people, if you're not a police officer, you in a way you wouldn't know what we go through. So we take people on ride alongs to give us, us, us like an idea of what's going on out there. But at the end of the day, Captain, he didn't even respond to him. I thought that'd have been an excellent way to kind of bridge the gap. If if there's a problem, if this is the problem he wants to to bring up, okay, fine. Then let's bring it to the table. Let's sit at the table and let's come up with an idea or we, how we can solve it instead of just kicking this can down the road. Yeah, this is it. You know, oh, big bad police is brutalizing black people, and we we still kicking this can without a damn damn solution. So w- with that, I just didn't, I just didn't get, I just didn't understand where we was coming. What was the end game with Cap? That that was my only problem with him. You know what I'm saying? And if and, I, and, and, and Cap, if you get this, and if you want to talk or want to reach out, it, hell, brother, I'll talk to you. We'll come up with some solutions. Because I'm out there. I'm out there in these lines. Well, so that's all I got to say about that. No, I, I, hey, man, I, and I respect that. And I know you firsthand. You're out there. And I know your heart. And I know what you aren't doing out there. But let's just also be honest here. There's a lot of your counterparts that are out here that are not upholding the law in the way that they should be. And those individuals, they know who they are. If you're listening, you should be held accountable for your actions. However, when I look at a guy like Colin Kaepernick, and both of you guys brought this point up that he pissed someone up high up in the food chain. Is that kind of what the idea that I got from both of you guys? Well, you're damn right he did. Okay. So you guys will both then agree with me that the NFL has a long memory. And it won't take kindly to somebody that rocks the boat. So we know that these owners will never, ever sign off on this guy coming back to the NFL. And that's kind of why I stand in the position that I do on this. Whether he wants to play again or not, whatever his true intentions are, that's one thing. But I think that they colluded against this brother, and I don't think that they want him in their league. And that's just the bottom line. And also, it was pretty um, telling to me that not a lot of other players supported him in this in this movement. That was really telling. You had a little handful of guys that that knelt, um, and a lot of couple of them like Malcolm Jenkins and Anquan Bolden. They kind of spoke up for a little bit. Then the NFL uh, gave them some money to start their own social justice initiatives, and then they kind of went away. And that's the danger to this whole thing is that the NFL tries to buy their their way out of conflict. 
And I don't think that that's the solution. Like you brought up, uh, Jules, we need to have real solutions to these problems. You can't just write a check and think that something's going to go away. You can't mm-hmm. blackball a guy and just think that the problem's going to go away because it's not going to go away. Totally agree. I totally agree. When they settled with that money and he took that money, basically both sides pretty much kicked the can down the road. That's what right. that was. That's what, <laughs> was. Right, exactly. So you didn't, you didn't accomplish nothing. No. You created circus drama that turned into an impromptu workout. It's crazy, man. Well, let's look at it another way. So we see that uh, the Jay-Z, he partnered with the NFL on uh, social justice efforts. I don't know which one of you guys want to take this, but what, what were your thoughts when you saw that Jay-Z got involved in the fray, considering that he's had a history of not only supporting Kaepernick, but also taking shots at the NFL in some of his raps? I think, I think, I think, that, I think that Jay-Z saw an opportunity to make some more money in this situation. He saw a partnership from a financial purpose. I think he kind of abandoned Kaepernick's position there because, you know, you know, there's money on the table. I could be your friend, I think, in that situation, but there's money we need to make here. Maybe I can, maybe I can get something else done here. And I think that's what Jay-Z did in that regard. But, you know, the thing with Jay-Z, and when you started talking uh, politics and you started talking where he came from, where he is today, it's a weird place because, you know, we all know different Jay-Zs, <laughs> you know, in that regard. You know, like, you know, we know Jigga, we know Jay-Z, we know Sean Carter. I think right now, I think Sean Carter signed it. <laughs> I think Sean Carter signed the deal with the NFL. <laughs> you know, Jay-Z, you talking about the drug dealer, you talking about the rapper and stuff like that. And then you get into Sean Carter and you get to Jay and Bay and the Carters. That's a totally different situation. I mean, like, you know, I grew up with many different forms of Jay-Z. And I think every man should evolve as a person over time. But I think that a lot of times you get lost in that principle of where you came from and what, and what you're fighting for right now. I mean, you can't see you can't see the grass for the for, you can't you can't see the trees for the grass right now, and I think his role in the NFL is the NFL's way of trying to get that urban touch. So they went out and got they went out and got somebody who's who was controversial for his time, and said we're going to partner with Jay Z. He just helped Meek Mills out, so let's get Jay involved. So I think it was more of a it's a relationship of convenience, you know. To be honest with you, the NFL needs needed that I, I don't want to say it needed that token. They got that. They got a super token, and then you know that you know that helped Kaepernick. That hurt Kaepernick's whole movement because Jay Z thinks we're awesome. He works with us, and he's gonna do concerts, and ba- and, and maybe Beyonce might do the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so they so he he sold in a way he sold out in a way, but at the same time I respect the hustle. I respect what he did. He's thinking more his family. He's thinking longevity. He's thinking about maybe I could be an NFL owner one day. So he basically sold sold a part of himself to get a bigger piece, but that didn't help. Cap, they didn't help. They didn't help Kaepernick at all in terms of what he was trying to do at this point. I mean, not at all. I mean, so Kaepernick, Kaepernick in this in this situation loses twice because now Jay Z is on the side, and if Jay Z thinks NFL is not racist, then they surely aren't racist at this point. Well, well, Novak, you bring up a good point there, right? So during the uh, press conference for that uh, the announcement of that partnership. I think uh, Jay-Z mentioned something along the lines that uh, we're past kneeling and we're about actionable items. I think that's kind of how he, he phrased it. Mm-hmm. So my question was to Jay, and if he's listening or if anybody in his camp is listening, 
what are these actionable items that you're talking about? Because the only thing that I've seen so far is you selling t-shirts and throwing concerts. You know, you guys had some concerts in Chicago around the time where the, the Bears played the Packers. It was cute. But what does that have to do with basically uh, social justice initiatives? What does that have to do with solving the issues that Colin Kaepernick tried to bring attention to? So, like you said, to me, Novak, this deal came down to economics. And Jay-Z's always said that he's not a businessman. He's a businessman. So that's who he is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, Jules, definitely jump in and give us your feedback on this one. <laughs> well, see, uh, real quick, I just want to—I just want to mention something about the uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, at the end of at the end of the day, the NFL struck the seven-year donating eighty-nine million to the players to the players activists to to impact the African American communities with the with, for education and criminal justice and law enforcement reform. So I, I you know, I guess it's a, a a little battle won. I, I mean, I don't know if you call it a win, but I get what Cap did. You brought this thing to the to the limelight for you get some people to look at it and say, okay, this is you know what this is terrible. How can we do? What can we do to to help out? I believe you really have some real real folks that want that generally just want to help out. And and with eighty nine million, any any type of donation and stuff, if it goes to the right cause and the right place and stuff like that, will be will be excellent. That's all I just want to say about that. But um, I, yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead, Press. I was just going to say, too, I think another thing that's a little problematic to me with this is why would Jay-Z put his reputation on the line for a partnership like this that I don't think that he's getting enough out of? I think with Jay-Z, he's done a lot of work with a lot of social justice initiatives in the past. You know, a lot of the work he's done, he was instrumental in helping Meek Mill fight his battles with, with you know, with, you know, how he was wrongfully you know, thrown back in jail with the parole violations, uh, the Browder uh, a documentary on Netflix, bringing light to that situation. So he's done a lot, but I just wonder, what did he get out of this partnership? Because it just doesn't seem like he's getting enough out of it, unless there's a bigger play here. Is there something that you think I'm missing? Like, what, is there something that's play here for Jay-Z? Potentially? Well, see, you, well, see, just real quick, I just want to say with, with that, sometimes we got to think outside the box. And if this is a ploy or this is a way to get where we're trying to get to, it doesn't matter how long the, the destination or where the destination or what we're riding in, as long as we get to this destination. Maybe this is just another way. Hey, I'm, with, I'm in here with the big wigs. I'm rubbing elbows. But we just talked about earlier today, what's going on, get in from, from the back door in, where he bring in more people to meet these people, get along with these people. And then maybe, just maybe, um, we can get some minorities in this in this in this press box in this owner's box. That's the only thing I can think of to to if you want to make this thing successful. But only time will tell. But only time will tell. I can see that. I can see. I can see. You know, this this is a marathon that he signed up for. I want to right, say exactly. And I think there are also a lot of unwritten things under the table that went on during this deal. Because you think about, you know, you think about Kraft's relationship with Meek Mills as a result of his relationship, they became friends. And you think in terms of, you know, you see the more human side, I guess some of these owners now are trying to understand the players a little bit better, but not enough, you know what I mean in that regard. But I, I do think that this is a setup pretty much for, uh, for 
for Jay-Z to basically get some type of ownership in the future. But when these older guys, when these older families decides it's time to go, I think mm-hmm. Jay-Z is going to be an NFL owner. And I think this exactly. is what this, that's what this deal is about. Exactly. This is about Jay. He this switched, is not about social he justice. He switched tactics. Yeah. Right, he switched tactics. He mm-hmm. didn't come from a, a, a direct mm-hmm. approach. It's more indirect. Mm-hmm. So, so basically what you guys are telling me then is he used a social justice movement to fatten his pockets. Yeah, yeah. Well, I he got to get paid too now. He got to get paid too. I mean, this is this is he got to get paid too now. This is a J and Bay deal. That's what that was. You know, you, you're gonna. I bet money you're gonna see Beyonce do the Super Bowl. Give it a year or two. They're not gonna do it next year or something like. They're not gonna do it this year because it's too hot. He'll slide Beyonce out there and do a Super Bowl. There'll be a new Destiny Child's album. He's smart. He's very smart. He's writing lyrics for. I mean, he just released that song Savage. And you start laughing. Jay wrote that. That's Jay. Beyonce don't sound like that. I mean, Jay is bred in terms of like positioning people. He's playing chess and we're playing checkers right now. Well, so to your point earlier in this uh, conversation, Jules, you brought up the fact of us needing to have someone on that upper level. So now mm-hmm. if Jay-Z's positioning himself to actually make that type of move, then maybe you know, we'll start to see some of that change that we're hoping to see when it comes to this racial divide. But as far as where I sit right now, I'm still judging the move that you made, Hove. Don't, um, <laughs> don't let me down, bro. Right. Don't let us down, man. Well, it's very similar, it's very similar to what Michael Jordan did when he, when he became owner. Very similar. You know, we all, we all wonder to this day, what is Michael going to do with the Hornets? You know, I haven't seen anything yet. I'm still waiting. <laughs> you know, you know, you're really going to see what he's about when his new CBA gets canceled or, or, they, or they decide to you know, throw out the CBA. Yeah, no, we'll definitely see. We'll definitely yeah. see. But fellas, man, this was a man, this was a hell of an episode. And I I, I love this episode just because, yeah, you know, you even us, we none of us had the same, you know, viewpoints, but man, we all respect each other and you see how we were still able to listen to the other person. Well, you guys versus my opinion, but I still respect <laughs> where you guys <laughs> but I still respect where you guys were coming from. And you see how we had dialogue. And I think that that's what people need to learn how to do. Um, with that mm-hmm. being said, I'm gonna kick this over to my boy Novak for our final segment here, the curtain call. Let us, bro. I wanna wanna give a shout out to Nate Boyer. Um, he's a former NFL player and he's retired on Army Green Beret. He was the person that advised Colin Kaepernick that kneeling for the national anthem would be a more respectful way to deal with things opposed to sitting during the national anthem. I think in, uh, you know, in Nate's mind, kneeling uh, would have been, you know, would have been, you know, kneeling was, in his mind, kneeling wasn't a disrespectful act. He saw kneeling as showing a sign of respect because you got to realize that people kneel a lot during life. They kneel when they propose to somebody to marry somebody. Uh, they take a knee when, uh, you know, in front of a, a fallen soldier's grave to pay your respects. So they saw kneeling as almost being a way to pay respect without being disrespectful. You know, I think that I think that Nate and uh, and Colin's compromise, you know, was at, at that point in time, I think, was a fair compromise. But you know, the thing about that right now is that you know that situation, as you know, led to the the, the dialogue we had earlier in the podcast. It led to a very interesting war for Colin Kaepernick. But I think that you know, it's it's a good thing that people can compromise here, and that compromise went from from sitting to kneeling. I think it was a fair compromise, but I think, you know, it could have been dealt with totally differently, but that's life in that regard. Uh, you know, 
we don't, you know, the thing, the thing, the reason why that's such an interesting point is because we're not always going to agree with everybody's views, or we're not always going to agree with everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's viewpoint in this world. So I think that uh, the thing is, in this country, we got to learn to be more accepting of people. We got to learn also to present opportunities to people, and that's the only way we're going to make this world great. Or in the words of forty-five, you know, make America great. I mean, I think that America, America has to become better in order to become great. <laughs> right now we're stuck in some weird twilight, but you know, time only tell how we move forward. Jules, hit us with that final thought. You know, in today's episode, we talked a lot about the unspoken racial uh, division within the NFL, dealing with the quarterback situation in particular. It's gotten a hell of a lot better. My have things that changed. Uh, the NFL was integrated back in the 46 with a player named Kenneth Washington. You know, in 1978, Doug Williams was the first Afro-American black uh, quarterback to be taken in the first round. Now that's the 32 year gap between with the NFL's not taking a quarterback, a black quarterback in the first round. There was comments that's being made that blacks, black quarterbacks can't be leaders. They don't know how to lead a team. They're not smart enough to play the position. Well, if Doug Williams believed that, then he would not have been the first black quarterback to win the Super Bowl for Washington. If Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham and, 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 and Prez boy uh, Cordell Slash Stewart, if they believed that, you know, they would not have. Who? <laughs> they, would not, they would not have paid. <laughs> they would not have paid the way. Now, now, Prez, you remember that was your name back in high school. Now... <laughs> Yeah. They would not have paid the way. They wouldn't have paid the way for quarterbacks like like uh, Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson, Watson, RG three, uh, where have you at? Colin Kaepernick, Newton, Bridgewater. The list goes on and on. Or how about your 2019-2020 Super Bowl champ, Pat Mahomes? There's no doubt about. We can play this game. Not only we can play this game, we can be leaders, and we can lead teams. Now I want people to listen, 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 listen to hear me good. Now, what I'm talking about is more than just football. I'm talking about the game of life in general. So the quote today by Jacko Willink is for the people who feel that they might maybe not, they, they, maybe they're not smart enough. Maybe they don't, they're not a leader. Maybe they don't have what it takes. Or maybe they're just not the one for that, that position. Well, that's nothing but BS and get that out your head. Now, I want to make something crystal clear. There are people designed in this world, low, medium, and high places, don't want you to succeed, don't want you to get ahead, don't want you on the same level or even greater than them. These people ain't nothing but they just, they're here to design to hold you back, to keep you down. It's all a test. Okay, the quote. Right now you're being tested. You're being forged. You're being tested by fire. You're being tested by pain. That's the test. Don't fail the test. Don't give in. Don't quit. Don't ever quit. Fight on. Fight through the storm. Fight through the pain. And you come out on the other side stronger. You come out on the, on the other side tougher and better. You're a better fighter. You're a better survivor. You're a winner. You're victorious. And you're free from the storm. You're free from the darkness. You're free from life. As we know, life can be hard. Life is hard. But, with it, but you know what? It's only life you have in your, in your lifetime. You only have one life. So in the end, you want to look back and say, hell yeah, I will do this 
all over again. Press. That's a good quote. And that, that curtain call was uh, very fitting. Uh, definitely uh, agree with everything you guys said there, uh, especially when it came to Nate and Colin. While they both had different views, they were able to kind of come together, find common ground and compromise. This episode, for our listeners, you guys aren't probably going to agree with maybe some of the stuff that we said or whatever, but at the simple fact of the matter here is we want to continue to bring thoughtful conversation like that to our listeners. We also thank you guys for your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. I also want to give a special shout out to our listeners across the world in the UK, Canada, Ireland, Chile, Mexico, Germany, and Australia. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. As always, you can catch this podcast on iHeartRadio. You can follow this podcast on Spotify. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple. Also, please leave us a five-star rating on the way out from listening to our episode. We are the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.